Hello and welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm Guillaume, your host, and each week, I'm fortunate to share with you stories from climate tech founders, investors, and corporations sharing their unique insights into this fast-moving industry. Eventually, like me, you will learn, discover, and get inspired by those unique men and women who are contributing to the fight against climate change, and I hope it will help you to take a step in this formidable movement. So before we start, I just want to share a few words about us as this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech movement. Our mission is to accelerate capital deployment towards climate tech founders, allowing them to focus on scaling their solutions. How do we do that? Every day, we help founders access to resources and connections and gain the visibility they need to expand their growth. We do this in a number of ways with a membership platform, a Slack group, with a growing number of founders, investors, and experts from around the world. And recently, we went one step further with a matching services to connect founders with top climate tech investors. Keep in mind that we are able to do all of this thanks to the support of our listeners and our members. So please like and subscribe, share one episode with a friend, join a community, and if you haven't already done so, make a small donation to support our work. It really means the world to us. And now, enjoy the show! Hi everyone, in this new episode of Founder Series, we are sitting down with Alba, co-founder and CEO of Climatize. Climatize is a platform that allows you to invest in renewable energy projects for as little as five bucks. We will explore with her our inspiring journey and gain insights into the state of the solar industry in the US, the significance of solar in the energy transition, and the exciting opportunities in community solar projects. Climatize was born out of Alba's passion for climate justice and inclusion. Strong engineering background and a double master's degree in renewable energy and sustainable energy technologies, Alba's journey led her to co-found Climatize as a means to empower individuals to make tangible climate action. Activism, technical expertise, and commitments to solving climate challenges have shaped a remarkable journey as an entrepreneur. Alba is also a Young Energy Ambassador for the European Commission and has been recognized by Forbes 30 Under 30 list for contribution to social impact. Then we will dive deep into the solar industry in the US and why solar energy plays a crucial role in the energy transition. Alba shed lights on community solar projects, their significance and the opportunities they offer for both investors and communities. We explore the existing solution in place to finance and develop renewable energy projects and discuss the market's organization, including key players and regulations. Alba also discuss the impact of the IRA on the renewable energy market and what might be blocking or slowing down the goal of achieving 100% community solar project capacities deployed. Join us in this episode as we learn about the exciting world of renewable energy investment, community solar projects, and the viral role they play in combating climate change. Listen to Alba's inspiring journey and gain valuable insight into the state of solar industry today in the US. Second part of the show, Alba shares with us the importance of research and preparation in the funding stage of a startup. She emphasizes the importance of understanding the industry in identifying weaknesses and finding ways to strengthen stuff. Alba, welcome to the show. Hi, Alba. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. I believe it's going to be a great opportunity to hear your story, get up to speed on what you guys are doing with Climatize, which makes it easy for anyone to invest in renewable energy projects, starting with as little as five bucks and with no fees. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Guillaume. I'm very excited about this opportunity and it's great to be here with you today. So before we start, is the tradition in the show. Can you give us a 30 second introduction about Climatize? 
Sure, of course, uh, happy to do so. So, well, I'm I'm the co-founder and the CEO of Climatize, and we are a platform that is connecting investors with climate infrastructure projects. We really focus right now on solar. So we launched May of this year, and now if you're an investor, you can start putting in from as little as $5 up to whatever amount you feel comfortable with in those projects and potentially actually make a make a return. Fantastic. So before we go uh, into the detail about uh, Climatize, uh, let's start from the top. Uh, I'd love to know a bit more about uh, your personal story, your background. I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do besides uh, building Climatize? I mean, what makes you feel inspired or, you, or your best self, as I always ask, like, who is Alba? Wow, <laughs> that's a big question. Uh, who is Alba? So um, I would say I'm a very passionate person. I feel very, very passionate about climate justice and inclusion. And I feel like Climatize is definitely the current incarnation of that. So just to walk you a little bit about, you know, like what brought me here today and what's my background, I, I started studying engineering. So my background is in engineering. I'm originally European from Barcelona. I studied there. And um, after that, I decided to pursue a double master's degrees in uh, renewable energy engineering and sustainable energy technologies. That's where I actually connected with, with my co-founder. The reason why I started that master program was because I've always been a person who has eco-anxiety. I've always tried to do everything in, in my power to fight the climate crisis. And... I thought, why, if I'm trying to do everything from a personal perspective, why don't I also do it from a professional standpoint? So that was really the motivation behind that. And second week of university, I went with my co-founder to a climate strike. We saw 100,000 people protesting for climate action. That's what gave us the hope and the motivation, but at the same time, kind of frustration because we thought, what is going on? You know, like as a young person, the only thing that you can do is kind of like change your diet, travel in a more sustainable way, and maybe make a cardboard sign. How can we empower these people to actually take tangible climate action and change the narrative from sacrifice to opportunity? So that was really the catalytic moment of us starting the, the company in, in the first place. Before being a startup founder, I also did some other work in the energy space. I was an energy consultant for a while. I was doing a lot of work in the renewable energy space. I did circular economy, EV charging infrastructure. I did a ton of policy work as well at a European and at a, at a Spanish level. I was pushing through one of the most important climate policies in Barcelona. And uh, let's see what else. Aside from that, I'm also still involved in policy. I'm a young energy ambassador for the European Commission. Recently, I got Forbes 30 under 30 for social impact. So again, everything in my world is around, you know, like climate action and, and inclusion. And then maybe on a more, more personal note here, I consider myself a climate activist, first, first and foremost. I met Greta Thunberg actually in Sweden even. So I was studying in... In Sweden for a while, I was working with her and the other uh, Fridays for, for future leaders and was protesting in front of the Swedish parliament every Friday. I joined an organization called uh, Rena Mellerin to clean the, I would say, the lakes there in Sweden. We were working with divers. I was a rope puller, so I actually, you know, like pulled out batteries and uh, scooters from, from the lakes in Sweden. And um, I'm also a runner. I love nature. I spend a ton of time outdoors. So I am preparing for a marathon now, which is exciting. And I love languages. I would say those are maybe like the three highlights about myself. So I, I love traveling. I love trying to learn new languages. I'm at six right now, maybe five and a half, because one of them is kind of, you know, still a work in progress. But yeah, that's more or less who Alba, who Alba is. Um, and uh, <laughs> trying to summarize that a little bit here. I mean, that's super exciting. Thank you so much for uh, uncovering so much about uh, about you and your uh, your previous journey starting Climatize. Maybe if you can like take a little step back and, and looking at uh, uh, this whole journey and you, you mentioned like your uh, activism, uh, you know, side of uh, of your personality and, and, you know, being in the action as well. Uh, you mentioned like uh, the policy, you mentioned like different items like, 
What has been maybe the one or two key pieces of experience in a way that it gave you an edge to, to start climatized if you would like look back uh, at this whole journey? Okay, that's, that's a very interesting question. I would say, first of all, my background. I feel like I wouldn't be able to do what I do now if I hadn't studied what I studied. I did uh, industrial engineering for my bachelor's and then I did that double master's program. I also did a course at uh, a university that's called Estad in, in Barcelona, which is a business and law school. So that gave me also kind of like a business perspective, not only the engineering uh, mindset. And at my work, I'm doing a lot of technical work. So as I mentioned, we are a platform that enables people to invest in projects, but these projects need to be sourced. These projects need to be diligenced. You need to talk to the developers, understand, you know, like what their track record is, you know, like how the project works from a technical perspective. Is it financially viable? Is the project finance stage at which we're entering relevant? Is it a good investment opportunity? So I would say all of the things that I'm currently doing need a very strong technical and climate foundation. So I wouldn't have been able to do what I do now if I hadn't studied what I studied. So that probably would be the first one. And then I would also say resilience and hard work is another. You don't necessarily need to study engineering for that, but I definitely think that engineering um, gives you, you know, some kind of like endurance just because, you know, you're kind of problem solving 24 seven. So if you're just solving problems, solving problems, then when you become an entrepreneur, you're kind of used to solving problems at that point. And you're not afraid of taking risks and, and again, working with very little information. And you just try to do the best you can with the resources that are available to you. So I would say maybe those two things have really helped me become who I am today. So before we, we start going into detail about acclimatize, uh, and thank you so much for uh, already like uh, painting uh, your, your profile and, and your journey so far, super, super interesting and, uh, and very impressive. We'd like to, to zoom out and, and kind of understand the overall context uh, that uh, you are surfing on with uh, with acclimatize on the uh, solar space. So to put things back into perspective, maybe we can start with your understanding of the the state of the solar industry today in the in the US and why solar is one of the key uh, one of the key for the energy transition. Uh, I mean, maybe to start off, if you could you know share with us some data points uh, regarding the industry today, the projection, the, the potential, uh, and where are we uh, at in terms of deployment uh, to fill that gap? Sure, of course. First of all, we focus on solar just because I I believe that it is again pretty mature technology, very good investment opportunity. So that's why at the company, we really focus on solar. But I do think that, you know, like enabled, in order to reach our net zero targets by 2050, we do need to not only invest in these kinds of technologies, but we also need to invest in other, other early stage, not as mature tech that needs to exist as well. That being said, uh, when it comes to solar, the potential is huge. And now I'm really talking about the U.S. market because now since the company uh, that I'm building is, is in the States, that's where I have the most relevant expertise. I believe we're now roughly at 155 uh, gigawatts of installed capacity in, in the States. That's, you know, like I always like to look at this from like a climate perspective perspective as well. That's 175 million metric tons annually of CO2 avoided thanks to the solar installations. And, you know, like that's roughly 39 million vehicles off the road. You know, like when I think about that, I just, it, it's insane to think about how much impact this is having, right? And solar continues to grow. Now we've also seen community solar enter into this equation. I'm particularly passionate about community solar because it's not only about the technology, it also involves the community surrounding that as well. And uh, we've also seen that grow very, very rapidly here in the States. So our goal here is, you know, like to deploy as, as fast as we can and accelerate the energy transition by investing in these kinds of technologies. Mm -hmm. 
So do you see any like ceiling where solar and spontane makes no sense to add more solar panels on the on, on land or on the roof? Uh, or I mean, is there any like theoric, theoretical like uh, maximum level of uh, where solar can contribute to the energy transition? At some point, we will for sure get to that point, but we're still, you know, like we're still far away from reaching that that case. Um, I cannot really tell you like when that is exactly going to happen. What I know now is that there's a ton of potential for solar for wind and for other, as I mentioned, you know, like other early state, earlier stages climate tech, like for example, like carbon capture, you know, like battery storage, things like these that have a ton of potential as well. But for now, I do think that it is very wise to continue to invest in solar, to continue to support the deployment of renewable energy and solar technologies, just because it has arrived to a point where, you know, like the cost of solar has gone down, gone down substantially in the last years. So it is important to, you know, like continue to use that expertise. And now that the technology has been the risk, I think it is the right time to actually continue to push forward with, with solar. So now to, to go one step further in the, the understanding of the general context, I mean, as we discussed together prior to this, uh, this interview, uh, we'd like to, you know, double click in, on one path to develop solar at scale. And that's the community solar projects that you just uh, mentioned and the, the, this, uh, its opportunity. So maybe if you can start by giving uh, to our audience like uh, your definition of uh, community solar projects in itself and uh, what fell into that uh, category. Sure. The reason why I think community solar is so exciting is that if you think about it, not everyone has the opportunity to go solar. It is, you know, it can be an initial, you know, like investment that many people may, might not be able to afford. Your roof might not be suitable. Maybe your location, specific location is not suitable for solar. So the good thing about community solar is that you can go solar without necessarily needing to have solar panels on your roof. So according to NREL, the National Renewable Energy Labs, 50% of households are not ready to go solar. So what happens with those people who can't, right? So community solar is basically a big solar installation where you can subscribe to. So by subscribing to that community solar project, you actually get credits and those credits are reducing your electricity bill. So you're actually saving money by doing something that is good for the planet, which is going solar, right? So that's why I think it is it is a great it is a great opportunity for maybe like low-income families or those who don't have the possibility to actually tap into the clean energy transition to you know save money while doing the, the right thing at the same time. So that's what, what community solar is. So how would you define that as, as I would say, like in the, the practical way? Is it like a, a field, full field of uh, solar panels and everybody is subscribing to finance that? Or is it like uh, the roof of a church? Or is it like, uh, I don't know, like a place in the, the desert or even sometimes on, on water? Uh, is it like that type of, of project uh, on the physical world, uh, that community solar project, or is it just the fact that everybody is aggregating together to uh, finance uh, such, a, such a project? And what is maybe the, the minimum, uh, I would say, uh, you know, amount of uh, installation or gigawatt or number of uh, solar panels that needs to be installed to consider that as a, that type of uh, project? Sure, of course, that's a great question. And First of all, they are not massive projects. I mean, it could be a huge project, but generally I would say we speak about projects that are under five megawatts, just to put roughly a number. Most of them are around one to two megawatts. And they can be anywhere. <laughs> Don't imagine, a, I mean, it could be in the desert, right? But generally they're pretty close to wherever the, the power is later delivered. And the way it works is by subscribing, you're not necessarily like, funding the project directly. So what happens is you subscribe, the project developer is actually selling the electricity that is generated by the community solar project to the grid. And that's how you then get the credits that are applied to your monthly, let's say utility bill. 
So when, you know, like per month, you're going to pay for your electricity, you would get the credits, which would mean that you have a reduction because you are subscribed to that community solar project. Okay. And when this type of project started, I mean, this, this form of like financing in a way solar started, like where are we at today and what's the, the potential that you see there? Sure. I mean, right now, I believe we're roughly, this is pretty new, we're roughly at six gigawatts of installed capacity of community solar. And I was actually checking, you know, like what kind of like the projections are. And I found a study by with McKinsey that says that community solar will grow 118% over the next five years, which is pretty impressive. So we're just getting started. I was actually part of a group that's called the National Community Solar Partnership that was what well, is organized by the Department of Energy here in the States. And they have very, very, um, I would say, very high expectations of what's going to happen, which I love. Their goal is to power 5 million households by 2025 and create 1 billion in energy savings for for those community solar subscribers, right? So there's a ton of interest in really pushing community solar along. Through that group that I mentioned, the National Community Solar Partnership, we were we were part of a subgroup that's called the Lenders Working Group. And there we worked in providing a standardized way for projects to actually be able to access capital and and apply for, for loans as well. So as financiers, we've We've participated in in just you know like understanding how community solar works and how we can fund those projects and accelerate that that transition as well. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I like to double click a little bit on the the financing of those uh, of those projects. I mean, if you could share with the with the audience your overview of the existing uh, solution or mechanism in place uh, to finance and develop those uh, those projects and maybe uncover a little bit also like how is that market organized today i mean is it like a big players small uh, smaller entities i mean what are the, do you see any main players there already like emerging uh i mean besides you guys <laughs> that is yeah that's a great question so project finance is a very specific like very niche skill set so let me kind of explain a little bit high level how it works and who the players are and how we how we connect uh, there as well. So we have different sizes of projects, right? There's like the big uh, utility scale projects. Those generally have no problem in finding capital just because again, you know, like they're big projects. There's a lot of banks who want to fund them. I'm talking about maybe like portfolios or a single project of like 50 million, $100 million. Then when we move down the ladder, we can find like small and medium commercial and industrial scale projects. They are known as CNI. And uh, those projects are smaller and sometimes they are the ones who struggle to actually, you know, secure capital to, to fund the projects. Just because from like a bank's perspective or from another, you know, like institutional lenders perspective, sometimes it does make more sense for them to invest their resources in diligencing a project that's larger where they have, you know, bigger upside than focusing on smaller projects. But if we want to think about the energy transition as decentralized, we do need those smaller projects to exist. So there's a ton of problems or struggles from those project developers who are trying to push those projects across the finish line and they're not finding a way to actually get them funded. Or if they do, maybe they don't resonate with the, with the, loan terms that the bank is offering them. There's a lot of transaction fees that they have to pay up front that might make it very hard for them to actually access that capital. So there's there's some issues there that do need to be addressed. And then there's the residential market. Where Climatize enters is really the small and medium CNI projects. I would say just to put, you know, like some rough numbers here, like projects from like, I would say under five megawatts around one megawatt is the ideal for us. And the way that project finance for these projects specifically work is there's three different types of like capital that you that you normally tap into. So first of all, there's a developer, the developer's equity, which is basically the developer might be contributing their own capital to cover, you know, like a portion of the costs of the project. So that's covered by the developer. 
then there's a, that financing. That's where, you know, like we may, may find grants, loans from, you know, like banks. Um, then there's like climatized there as well, you know, like crowdfunding opportunities. So there's, there's different options there for developers. And as I mentioned, for those um, small and medium CNI projects, this is the challenging piece, you know, because the, for them, it is hard to secure the debt financing for the for these projects. And then the last one, which is very US specific, is the tax equity. So right now, there's the there's the option of, you know, like claiming um, tax, I uh, would say credits on those projects. So there's something known as the investment tax credit. And basically, you can, you know, like deduct your taxes by uh, funding these these kinds of projects. The challenge of this is that you need to have a lot of tax liability. So some of these project developers or organizations that want to go solar, they actually don't have that many taxes. So it's to deduct the taxes and make that project viable, it's just very challenging for them. So that's why they usually partner with tax equity investors, other organizations that come in and, and can benefit from those tax credits and actually help fund the project. Right now with the Inflation Reduction Act, there has been a ton of movement in that space. They're doing the transfer transferability of those tax credits from the, the institutions to make it a little bit easier. But that's super new. There hasn't been many examples. There's actually not that I know. Uh, I don't know any example of transferability of tax credits right now happening. So it's just very slow. It needs a ton of standardization. But you know, like that's a whole whole different story. So we really focus on the debt piece and and really, you know, like helping those projects that cannot secure loans from other institutional investors get funded. So to close this uh, this section, um, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, you know this regulatory framework, this in a way tailwind or, or downwind? Uh, uh, you know what? What is the the, the regulation in place, or that and the one that are missing uh, according to you? When you mentioned the IRA, that everybody heard about, but it's still like as it's still very new. There's still a lot of like uh, new process to be put in place and really uh, start to feel the effect of it. So uh, tell us a bit more about the, the, this regulatory framework. I mean, what is in a way blocking or slowing down uh, this uh, development of a community solar project? Sure, that's that's a that's a great question. I mean, definitely there is the will to do something about it and to get these projects funded, at least in the States. I know in, the, in Europe, there is a lot of movement as well. Uh, we've had actually three big, I would say, climate um, policy packages passed since roughly 2021. One of them is the, the Inflation Reduction Act that you mentioned, the IRA. And basically, it is a package of $396 billion that are going to be deployed up until like 2032, more or less. So that's a lot of money that's going to go into like supporting climate infrastructure projects. There's also the um, bill, bipartisan infrastructure law, which is uh, as well, you know, like investing a ton of capital into the space. I believe it's like one point one point two. 1.2 trillion dollars that are going into these kinds of like um initiatives so there's a lot of federal incentives to make the projects happen to de-risk technologies and to support um, renewable energy the challenge is that this is very new so the ira recently you know like i think it's roughly a little bit over a year that the ira passed and there's still a lack of guidance so there's a lot of initiatives like the transferability of tax credits that a lot of developers want to tap into and to be able to to use for their projects but because there's such a lack of like um guidance it's just a little bit hard to be able to tap into those benefits so i would say you know like um definitely there's a ton of progress being made but still there needs to be an effort to actually make this very actionable because there's a lot of information out there, but a lack of like um, concise guidelines for developers to actually be able to, you know, like tap into that bucket of, of capital right now. 
So no, let's go a bit deeper into uh, climatize itself. So mm-hmm. you already uncovered a bit uh, that, but what is the story behind it? I mean, in which gap uh, did you identify initially uh, that led to the, the current version of climatize? I mean, in a way, why did climatize uh, have to exist? If you could sure. I mean, wrap that uh, in a concise manner. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, you know, we started. My co-founder and I started because we were passionate about empowering people to do something about climate change but change the narrative from sacrifice to opportunity so we really wanted to enable people to take climate action and specifically easy climate action and that's where we thought okay if we all invest in renewable energy projects and actually have the potential of making money because this is an investment this is a great way for the individual to feel like they're doing something and contributing to something that's bigger than than themselves. So it really came from empowering the community to take action. The funny thing is that then we connected this with a lack of capital, which this kind of like came later. We identified that these projects that I was mentioning before, the small and medium CNI projects, do experience a lack of capital. So they do need money. And then we connected one-on-one together. And that's how, you know, like we, we... we started the company. We initially started in in Europe. We saw that the regulatory framework made more sense for us in the States. The market was also, you know, like more appropriate for us. We moved to the States. We started the company there. We got our license with the SEC and FINRA. uh, And now in May, we launched the app. And since then, we've raised $1.4 million for solar and community solar projects, which is extremely exciting. So on the product side, if you could uh, maybe walk us through the, the process, like how does it work? I mean, you mentioned it's an app uh, that you have on, on your phone. I mean, um, tell us a bit more about like the user uh, flow and, and, and process. Um, you mentioned solar is the, the main uh, pro- type of project that in Community Solar say, uh, that uh, users can invest in. Uh, are you planning to open it up to, uh, to other type of projects? Uh, other forms of in the, uh, investment opportunities there. Um, tell us a bit more about like this this journey. What do I find here? Eventually, was that the, the return that I can expect as a, as investors as well? Uh, you tell me it cost me nothing, so that's fantastic. So mm-hmm. uh, who is paying in a way? So help us to visualize <laughs> this uh, this process and and understand your uh, your secret sauce. Yes, yes, happy to walk you through that. So let's say now you know like. I'm interested in um, climate finance, impact investing, and I decide to download Climatize. So I go to the App Store. Right now, we're only available on iOS and in the States, unfortunately, but we do plan on being available in other regions and for Android users and on desktop as well. So that's coming very soon. But well, I go to to the App Store, download the app, and um, when when I land on the app, I go through, you know, I sign up. And then I can look at the projects. There's right now, actually, we only have one project available because one has, we had two. The other one yesterday was fully funded. So that was fast. And uh, I browse the projects that I'm interested in. I select a project and then I can learn everything about the project. So I see obviously images, who is, you know, like the developer behind it, what's the goal, like how are the funds raised going to be used. I can look into, you know, like the financials. So what's the return profile? What's what's the risk profile? Um, how many investors have made a contribution? How much money has been raised to date? What are the terms? So all of that information is also there. There's also two documents. One of them is called Form C and a, and a summary. So the summary is like a two-pager document where you can, you know, like check everything you want about the project kind of like in a very summarized manner but if you really want to do your own diligence you can check out the form c which is 50 page document which summarizes the diligence process so it goes through basically everything there's even a review or an audit of the financial statements of the project developers it covers their background their track record the deals so it's it's pretty comprehensive we still encourage the investors to make more research if they feel like that's necessary, but that's that's a good place to start. And then there's a discussion channel where they can directly connect with the project developers and ask questions if 
if they need. If the user feels comfortable with making a contribution, you can click on invest and you can go through the investment onboarding, which we've tried to make as fast and as easy as we can. Then once you invest, um, you can wait and get your disbursements every quarter, every month, every, you know, like year, whatever, you know, like the specific project has as a goal and potentially make money while contributing to that project. You asked about, you know, like what kind of returns can I expect? I mean, I can talk about the projects that we that we already funded. It was 8% annual interest rate for five years paid quarterly. So every quarter you would get, you know, like 2%, which would be 8% annually. And then the principal is paid at full by the end of year five. So those are the terms that we've had in the in the first projects, which again, it will differ depending on like the project, the developer, that's something that the developer chooses. And if you compare this uh, return rate uh, compared to other financial investments uh, available, like where would you, uh, you know, uh, consider yourself? This is pretty competitive, actually. So we've had people come to us because um, they say, well, it's the first time that, you know, like a competitive return rate matches impact. So we've seen it's pretty competitive and... Um, investors are pretty satisfied with with uh, with a return profile and the term and also the risk um, stage of the project you know like because in the end when we talk about returns it's important to understand that they are kind of paired with the risk profile of the project project stage where you're entering at the projects that I'm talking about have actually been already built so we enter after COD which is like the commissioning of the project so the project is already there it's generating cash flows and we're basically providing a bridge loan in between construction and the operational phase of the project to be able to enable the project developer to prove um to prove let's say production data fully risk the project and then get institutional investors to refinance for the perm debt so i mean it's a very specific uh, project finance stage that we're focusing on right now and we've seen that work very well when it comes to the risk profile return profile and the term okay so double clicking a little bit on, on the other side on the project uh, developer side in itself i mean where you, you mentioned a little bit but like where do you source them i mean what's the pool of those uh, of those projects that you uh, have identified so far in the in the state and which criteria and methodology that uh, do you have in place to vet those uh, those projects to ensure that uh, uh, the money that I put in your uh, in your app and therefore in the project doesn't go bust? Um, so tell us a bit more about like this, you know, insurance that you are uh, and, and the process and the, the rigor uh, and eventually do you use like third parties, uh, you know, uh, organization to help you the the, the vetting process. I mean, uh, and how long does it take uh, for that from start to finish when you onboard a project and uh, move to the next uh, next one? Sure. Uh, okay, this is a long question. I will try to make sure I answer everything. Uh, so we source projects mainly actually through the National Community Solar Partnership. So we've been part of this group with the Department of Energy for a while now. We actually entered into a group that is called the Community Power Accelerator. And basically their goal is to connect financiers that climatize with projects that are looking to raise capital and also policymakers, since you know, like policy does play a very important role when it comes to like project finance as well. So through that, we've seen a lot of inbound from project developers, but others have been us reaching out to you know like players that we've seen are relevant. Um, we've also been leveraging data from the National Renewable Energy Labs. They have a data sheet with all of the information of the projects that have been, you know, like um, installed that have, you know, like gone through interconnection in the last in the last year. So we can also use that as a as the data point, which is extremely helpful. But yeah, I would say those have been the two main ways that we source projects in terms of how do we diligence them. Also through the National Community Solar Partnership, through the lenders working group that I mentioned before. We developed uh, a diligence process together with other financiers, just really taking in best practices from other, you know, like banks, community banks, financial institutions. And that is what we use 
to bet the projects, just because it is now pretty standardized. Project developers know more or less what to expect, and um, that's that's really the that's really the core of our of our diligence. Things that we take into consideration are, let's say, have other lenders made an investment in these projects? You know, like what is their their track record? Um, we also look into, you know, like their financial statements. We perform a review or an audit of those as well. We look into, you know, like the interconnection agreement, uh, the contracts, the permitting. Does the project have insurance? We always ask for general liability insurance. The warranties. Have they used top tier equipment? So, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we look into the performa, making sure everything makes sense. So that's that does take more or less i would say a month for us to to fully diligence that project and then when when the process has has uh finalized then we prepare the form c the project developer is the one really preparing that that documentation for the for the investors uh they prepare it we put it available on the app and then the um, the race for the project is open for three months so we generally open projects for 90 days and the minimum uh, of days that the project needs to be available in the app is 21 days. So that's more or less roughly the timeline that it takes from like sourcing to actually, you know, like getting the project fully funded. So, but there's, um, you know, a certain timeline and, and a lot of like work that uh, you as a team put uh, into place to to vet and 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 really like ensure that this uh, this project is uh, viable. Plus, you're doing all the work to uh, to get all of those backers uh, know about you and uh, come into the platform to start investing. So, what is the business model if the uh, the investors or the the user are not paying? Like, how does it work uh, with the project developer? Sure, of course. That's we charge our fees to the project developer. And we usually charge a success fee. So that means that if the project is successful, the project developer needs to, you know, like pay us a percentage of whatever they raised. But if the project is not successful and they don't manage to raise the funds that they were aiming at, they don't need to pay anything. So the last thing that we want is the project developer to have to put in money or like have like high, you know, like transaction fees or or anything like that at the beginning, just because we want to just get paid if we actually provide value. So that's why we structured it like this. And we also didn't want to charge anything for the investor because we didn't want that to be, you know, like kind of affecting their their return. So if you put in $100, you get an 8% using the example of the previous projects of those $100. So your money is, you know, like fully invested in the project, you're earning on the full principle. So we think that that's, it's very important as well. So, last question on the on this initial launch uh, regarding the the certification that uh, you had to get. I mean, can you share a bit with the audience, like what was that journey uh, and what maybe the experience that you learned during that uh, certification pod? I mean, uh, process uh, in itself and what was required for uh, you know a young uh, company like yours uh, to put uh, together this. And we crowdfunding uh, mm -hmm. you know, platform. Sure. I mean, that was a very long process. So uh, we are, um, I, we're a funding portal. We're operating on the regulation crowdfunding. And for that, you need to be regulated by the SEC, which is the Securities Exchange Commission, and FINRA, which is the financial industry, financial industry regulatory authority. Probably I missed something, but well, FINRA. <laughs> and um, it is a long process. It is pretty demanding and it was, you know, like a significant investment of, you know, like time and resources from our end to get to the, to get across the finish line. I think that in my, well, in my opinion, it is extremely important to have a process in place because we are an investment platform. We are, you know, like dealing with people's hard earned money and I have a lot of respect for every single dollar that a user has ever invested via Climatize. So I think that having having a process in place that ensures that someone who is going to enter the industry and you know like be running 
uh, a funding portal, something that has to do with, you know, like people's money, investments. Um, I think it's important, you know, that there is that there is a process that it is regulated to make sure that we're legit and that um, there's no that the money is used for for a specific purpose. So even though it was a very long process for us and it was it was hard as a very small company to have to go through something like this, I I believe it was it was necessary. And it also helped us to really, you know, like um, I would say be conscious about what we can, what we cannot say, be always compliant and and to again just learn, you know, like how to how to transition from a very small company to actually, you know, like a funding portal that enables people to invest in projects. So can you tell us a bit more about your uh, competition today? I mean, in the US or the rest of the world, why are you guys different or maybe better? I mean, how do you compare your solution to the to the rest of the market? Sure. I mean, I would say we're different because we're we're easy. <laughs> and and that's important. You know, like in the end simplicity uh is important because it is super hard to get into climate tech. Understanding, you know, like project finance is challenging. Understanding how investment works is extremely challenging. So, we're trying to make this easy and accessible. Our minimum investment amount is $5. So if you want to put in $5 and try it out, that's totally doable. That's one of the things that we differ from our competition. Their minimum investment is higher than that. Then um, we really focus on providing very standardized ter um, terms. So that's also something that many of our competitors are a little bit more, I would say, um, they have very different terms from for very different races and we try to keep it very simple again just for you to not have to like go and learn again how this works uh the onboarding is fast so we try to make it as yeah i would say as fast as as it can be for you to make an investment so so it doesn't require a lot of time invested from your end our projects are always renewable energy projects. Some of our competitors have different kinds of raises. And the reason why we do renewable energy and project finance specifically is because we want to be able to track the, the impact of the projects. And if you do project finance, it is easier to understand, you know, like what are the carbon emissions avoided by this project? You know, like how many jobs did this project create? How is it benefiting, you know, like, frontline communities, low-income families. So it is more tangible and it's easier for us to be able to ensure that the project meets our climate impact requirements, social impact requirements. So so that's why we focus on, on project finance. Um, yeah, I would say those are those are the main points. And probably, you know, that we try to provide investors with returns that are competitive and and that meet their expectations. So I would say our returns in comparison with other options that there are in the market are pretty competitive. And that that's how, you know, like we've managed to attract so much interest from potential investors. So finally, what, what is the, the size of the, the market opportunity that you guys have identified in that uh, segment? I mean, how are you planning to scale the operation and what are the, the steps necessary to achieve it? I mean, what needs to happen? What's next for Climatize? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, now, as I, as I mentioned, we really focused on community solar and solar. We do plan on, we do plan on like providing investment opportunities for the, for other kinds of projects, which are still, you know, like um, in the renewable energy space, climate tech space, like let's say energy efficiency upgrades. We're also probably looking into like um, battery storage, EV charging infrastructure, so that's that's going to be the next, you know, like natural step for us to take for now, probably during, you know, like obviously until the end of this year and next year, it's going to be mostly solar and community solar with some energy efficiency. But after that, we do want to expand and be able to support to support other kinds of climate tech um, as well via via the app. We also want to be able to, as I mentioned, uh, enable people from other regions and Android and um, desktop to be able to make those investments. Recently, I was on a on a podcast with um, 
the founder, one of, one of the co-founders of Globo and uh, CEO, which is, um, I would say, the Uber in Spain. I shouldn't call them like that, but just for people who are listening to us from other regions to understand. And uh, we had a lot of interest from people from Spain to be able to make investments via Climatize. And it's not possible yet. <laughs> so that's that's probably also one of our, you know, like next steps, you know, to be able to make this accessible for for everyone, regardless of where you're located. So looking for, forward to that one as well. So on the more personal side, what, what's your personal opinion on the on the climate crisis? I mean, what would you say to people who feel demoralized by all the already visible consequences uh, of climate change? Uh, as I always ask, are we doomed? I'm a very, uh, I would say I'm an optimist. You know, like I have a ton of hope. I I know that we will make it. We have made a ton of progress. And we just need to continue fighting. You know, like I understand that it can be extremely demoralizing. I understand that it can be hard to look at the news and learn about, you know, like another wildfire, floods, you know, like climate refugees. There's so many heat waves. It is demoralizing. It does give me extreme anxiety. But again, you know, like there's a lot of progress that's being made. We can look at the federal incentives. We can look at, you know, like how people have changed their mindset, how informed they are about climate. So, I mean, yeah, we will make it. We will make it. But it just needs, you know, a collective effort and and the will to to make a difference. So how can our listeners, investors, founders, experts listening to the show uh, can help you? Yeah, I would say, first of all, they don't need to help me. They need to, you know, like join me in the movement in the climate uh, fighting against the climate crisis. And that's helping themselves as well. Right. Because in the end, the climate crisis is a global problem. We need a global solution and we need everyone to actually, you know, like make it. I would encourage them to inform themselves. I always think that information is is power and it's extremely important to understand all the moving parts. So, you know, subscribe to a newsletter, listen to a podcast podcast like this one, you know, like try to, to understand what's going on. And then um, in terms of like climatize, if they, if they're interested, I would encourage them to check it out if they feel comfortable with it make an investment and try it out and um if not i also think it's important to to understand you know like where your money is going what are you what are you funding with your dollars and um you know green your finances as well and that goes beyond you know like investing in renewable energy so maybe those would be my my suggestions any question that I should have asked you uh, and I, I didn't for this uh, first part of the show? Uh, not really. <laughs> not that I can think of. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Albert, for your time, your energy, uh, for all of these incredible insights uh, and everything that you do to uh, move the ball towards a, a better world. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. It's been a pleasure, Guillaume. Thanks. Thank you again for having me. It's, it's been a fun conversation. Thanks again for joining us on the Tech for Climate podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for more Climate Tech Insights. In the meantime, head on over to our webpage at startupbasecamp.org where we have lots more insights and resources for anyone wanting to get involved in climate tech. If you find our resources useful, please consider donating to support our small self-funded team. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and see you next time.